today we begin the second half of the series on foundations of community. This is helping us prepare to consider the community commitment. Recordings will also be a help in years to come for others who in the future also are considering this commitment. We are building foundations. This is important work. The first five teachings of this series became the renunciations in the community commitment. We renounce the accuser of the brethren, Satan. We choose to align ourselves instead with the advocate, the Holy Spirit. We renounce the accuser's ways of pride, lying, and faction-making. We renounce hiding our sins. We renounce unrepentance. We renounce unforgiveness. All of these are important, and the first five teachings of this series are really a gift from God to us. But we don't only renounce, we will also commit. What are we committing to? Well, the first commitment is to prayer. That is the subject of today's teaching. There is much that could be said about prayer and we also have a rich history in CTR of praying and of teaching about prayer. So we will need the Holy Spirit to help us keep on track today. Perhaps we should begin in prayer. So Father, I lift up this time to you. I pray for all who are hearing these words. Thank you for each one. There is no accident in each one who hears this teaching. You're calling each one deeper into prayer, deeper into enjoying you, enjoying them as they pray. So we ask for your help today, Father, as we speak about this subject so dear to your heart. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, to begin with, I want you to join me in an imagination exercise. Are you up for this? Do you need a moment to stretch your imagination muscle? Many of you who are listening are parents, and I'm very confident in saying that all of you who are listening have had parents. So I want you to imagine with me a mother and a father the parents of three children ages 8, 12, and 17. Okay, you got it? Now, these two parents have told their kids that they are planning a summer vacation. Hurrah! Where would you like to go? Scenario number one. Each child has his or her own idea of what would be best and they immediately bombard their parents. Disneyland, the beach, the mountains. Each tries to outdo the other in their frantic plea and the volume rises. Now, as a parent, how would you feel about this situation? How likely are you to grant any or all of these various requests from your children? So just think about that a second. How would you feel to have your children all 
saying where they would like to go on vacation. So this situation represents prayer. We as children are petitioning our Father in heaven for what we want. Better health. Our political party to win. Favor for an upcoming job interview. And so forth. We each have our own agenda. Now God welcomes our requests and he is not overwhelmed. We as parents might be overwhelmed with all of our children saying what they want at the same time. But God hears each heart cry about any detail of our life. Okay, scenario number two. That doesn't happen. Instead, the children disappear. They come back an hour later. We've talked about this and we've decided together on Disneyland. See, Mary is the oldest, she's 17. This could be her last family vacation with us. She has always wanted to go to Disneyland, but has never been. So please, could we all go to Disneyland? Their earnest faces look up at you, the parents. How do you feel about this situation as compared to the first one? Are you likely to say yes? This represents united prayer. The various members of the body of Christ coming together to agree on their petition to the Father. Surely the Father's heart is moved when his children put aside their own individual agendas and consider one another. All right, scenario number three. Neither of the first two happened. Instead, the children disappear again and come back days later. We've been reading through your box of your old letters to mom, dad, from before you were married. We found one where you promised once you were married to take her on a cruise to Alaska because she had always wanted to see whales and glaciers. So we think you should fulfill your promise this summer and we should all go on a cruise to Alaska. Once again, as parents, how do you feel when you hear this? Is your heart not moved? How much more likely are you to say yes? This scenario represents united biblical prayer. The children of God study his word looking for his desires and his promises, and then unite together to ask him to do those things. Fulfill your own promises, Lord. Answer your own desires. How much more will the Father's heart leap to say yes? United, Biblical prayer. This is the foundation of prayer for us at Christ the Reconciler. Let's look at four examples in Scripture, and these will strengthen that foundation, but also add some new things to it. First, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17. I think we're all familiar with this. 
And the spirit and the bride say, come. Note that the bride has a single voice, a united voice. She has searched the scriptures, finding the promises that the Messiah will return to judge the living and the dead and be installed as king in Jerusalem, her glorious bridegroom. Come is a powerful, single word, united biblical prayer. But wait, there's more. Note that this bride is joining with the spirit. The spirit and the bride say come. This prayer is spirit filled. We join with the Holy Spirit who is already crying out, come. We're late to the party, but we're adding our voice. We always want to be praying with the Holy Spirit. Also, this prayer blends multiple biblical sources. The single word come reflects so many scriptures. Isaiah 64, oh, that you would rend the heaven and come down. In Joel, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Matthew 6, 10, the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. When we cry, come, the Spirit and the Bride, we're praying an abbreviated version of that part of the Lord's Prayer. And of course, Acts 1:11. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. So these are just four examples. Each one references this idea of Jesus's return. And when you pray, come, you can have all of these in your mind and it takes on multi-dimensional meaning. One of the joys of prayer is to meditate on the scripture until it is deep within our hearts and in our minds. Then a single word prayer like come can reflect so many facets of the jewel that is the Word of God. Now, I would like to urge us at CTR to go deeper into this aspect of prayer. Buy a paper Bible or get yours off the shelf. Really, not a phone, paper. Read it, study it, underline, Make notes, keep it by your side during prayer. Eat the scroll, as, I, as Ezekiel puts it. Then he said to me, son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. If we eat the scroll, if we put the richness of the word of God deep within ourselves, when we pray, it will, it will come forth in beautiful ways and the Holy Spirit can blend together and increase the meaning and the power of our prayers. The last thing this prayer is, is effective. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Even so, I am coming soon. It comes the immediate answer. All right. Romans 8, 15. 
We have graduated in our school of prayer from the one word prayer to the two word prayer. And by the spirit we cry, Abba, Father. See how we are joining with the Holy Spirit again? Notice also that it is we who are crying, not I. So we are united as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, not my Father, our Father. So this is a united, biblical, spirit-filled prayer. But there are additional aspects of this prayer we can learn from and practice. First, we are agreeing with who God is rather than agreeing with what God is doing or will do. Both are important. When we prayed, come, we were agreeing with what God will do. He will come. When we pray, Abba, Father, we're agreeing with who he is. He is our Father in heaven. Now, both of these are powerful acts of spiritual warfare. Think about it. What does Satan do? Satan accuses who God is and what he will do. He lies to us that God is not who he says he is, and he won't do what he says he will do. So when we agree with who God is and what he will do, we are, we are speaking the truth against the lies of the accuser. This is what is called a contemplative prayer. We are meditating on God's character rather than interceding or petitioning God to do something. Now, Christ the Reconciler has a, a strong calling and has had, since the early days of Austin House of Prayer, to contemplation. This should be embraced rather than apologized for. I remember early on in the days of AOP, I had a dream, and in this dream, I was on a swim team, and we would jump in the water to do our race, and all the other members of the swim team would go back and forth, and I could only go down <laughs> to the bottom of the pool and sit there at the bottom. I couldn't swim back and forth. And so this spoke to me that my calling was to go deep and to sit in the place of contemplation. Others are called to do laps and to pray primarily intercessory prayers. God bless them, they are needed. We thank God for them. Our calling is in many ways primarily to go deep. So Amy's book that she's just written about Abraham is an example of the mystical contemplation that we are called to. And we stand in the company of other Christian mystics through the ages. To simply gaze on God's beauty is a high calling. Hallelujah. Let's embrace it. Okay, also in Romans 8.15, we are setting our identity. God is our Father. What does this mean about me? I am his child, his son, his beloved. In a world that seeks to always be identifying us, we're consumers. We're Republicans or Democrats. We're helpless victims. Instead, we pray into our identity as beloved children of the Father. Now, this is also spiritual warfare. Because just as Satan accuses God, he also accuses us. 
he is the accuser of the brethren. So letting our identities sink from our head into our heart through contemplative prayer is also spiritual warfare. Finally, this prayer personalizes and rephrases biblical passages. Just like come, it draws from so many passages in the Old and New Testament that speak of God as Father. But to take the familiar form, Abba, almost Daddy, and address God in that way opens up new dimensions of our relationship with God. So as we eat the scroll and learn scriptures and have them become part of us, we can then personalize and rephrase and restate them in our prayers. And us, oh, so beautiful. This is what we're called to. All right, Acts 4, 23 through 31. Okay, here is a longer prayer. On their release, this is the release from prison and the, the accusations and uh, the Sanhedrin telling them to not speak the name of Jesus. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together, united, in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There is so much going on here. This prayer is very rich. Let it be one of the prayers you just live in and study. I hope by now you can easily spot the way this is a united biblical prayer in the power of the Spirit. Here are some additional considerations. This prayer combines contemplation of who God is with petition for him to act. Another way to say that is, it combines agreeing with who God is with agreeing with his promise to act. This is a wonderful pattern to follow. Contemplation, meditating on the beauty of God and the character of God. And then at the right time, as the Spirit leads, turning that into crying out to God for his hand to stretch out and perform miraculous signs and wonders. Now, this prayer addresses current events. Did you catch where he said, indeed, Herod, they, they said, 
Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles to conspire. It addresses current events, but it isn't overwhelmed by current events. So many of our prayers express being overwhelmed by current events and the things that are happening in our lives. Instead, this prayer shows putting them in the context of God's great plan throughout all of human history. This puts them in their proper place. The rulers of this world think they are big shots, but God laughs. Our friend Steve Hawthorne has a wonderful way of putting this. He says, we should pray towards promise, not about problems. Let me say that again. Our prayers should be oriented towards promise, not about all the problems that are around us. There's a fancy word for this, teleological comes from the Greek word telos, which means the final end, the culmination of all things, the end of the age. Teleological prayers. Lastly, this prayer is bold, boldness. They pray bold prayers, and it brings an awesome response from heaven. Fourthly, fourth scripture, Revelation 15, 2 through 4. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. I hope by now you can see immediately how this is a united, spirit-filled, biblical, contemplative, intercessory prayer. Yes? Actually, the trick in this one is to see the Spirit. It's not named. The Holy Spirit isn't named. But when it says the sea of glass is glowing with fire, we read in Revelation 4 that the fire before the throne of God is the Spirit of God. So mixed with this sea of glass that the saints are standing on is the fiery love of the Holy Spirit. But I want to add one more element or focus on one more element that's added here that's unique so far. And that is music. Oh, I love it. The saints are not praying, they're singing. Well, they are praying, they're singing their prayer. They have hearts given them by God. Musical instruments join with the voices. They're declaring in song who God is what he is like, what he will do, and how the earth will respond. Glorious. Okay, those are four scriptures. There's more there than I've covered, but that's enough. And when I put all this together, I get excited. Here at CTR, we're aiming for united, biblical, scripturally rich, 
contemplative, intercessory, teleological, bold, effective, musical prayers. Now, hopefully you don't receive this list as daunting. Oh no, Thomas asked me to pray for lunch. I have to sing a bold, effective prayer that blends multiple Old and New Testament passages about hot dogs. <laughs> you can relax. First of all, you can't go too wrong in prayer if your heart is in the right place. This is what we're aiming for, but even the simplest prayer is beautiful to God. In the court of heaven, even Steve Hawthorne's most carefully crafted prayers, which are beautiful, what do they sound like? Maybe they sound like a little toddler kind of babbling away. And just like an earthly father with his child, our heavenly father loves it. When you pray, think of your father in heaven just with his arms open wide and run into his arms. That's how he receives your prayer. Secondly, you can think of all of these elements Biblical, contemplative, musical, teleological. Think of them more like a menu than a recipe. In a recipe, you have to use everything or it doesn't come out right. In a menu, you have a whole bunch of really wonderful options and you pick and choose. Today, I feel like this, this drink and this food. Similarly, when we get together and pray, we may choose different elements to emphasize or combine, or we may flow back and forth from one to the other. Thirdly, we already do all this. Those of you who are walking with us back in the Austin House of Prayer days, recognize that we are building on that heritage. In the early 2000s, we learned so much from Kansas City IHOP about how to pray enjoyable biblical prayers. And then we practiced for over a decade in our prayer room, first on MLK and Chacon and then in the Seabrook Center. Remember our Friday night harp and bowl prayer times? Ah, so good. They had all these elements that we're talking about, musical, biblical, united. Now, of course, Kansas City didn't invent these. Moses and Miriam sang the first biblical prayer three millennia ago. And the Jewish, the Jewish stream of the church, the Catholic stream of the church, the Orthodox stream of the church, Protestant streams of the church, they all have a rich history of prayer in all these aspects. Fourthly, when we moved our primary prayer model from harp and bowl to bridge prayer, we took all this up a notch. Let me describe just some of the beautiful ways that bridge prayer combines so many of these important elements of prayer, Christ the Reconciler. First, united. Well, bridge prayer brings Catholics and Protestants together in prayer, much more easily than harp and bowl. So with harp and bowl, uh, it was a beautiful prayer model. I still love it. We still pray this way but it was very difficult for someone coming from a Catholic context or even a Protestant context that had not been exposed to that to understand how to join in with that prayer. You had to learn how to sing spontaneously and flow with the music and all this stuff. This is all great, but it didn't allow us to be united. 
So we changed our model to bridge prayer, and that model is much more accessible to both Catholics and Protestants from almost any stream. So this was a key step in our development toward united prayer. Okay, another way that bridge prayer is united prayer, we just begin, the very first line of bridge prayer is, we pray together. We're united. Whoever's in the room from all these different streams of the body of Christ, we're praying together. Then the first thing we do and the last thing we do in bridge prayer is we pray a collect. A collect is just a fancy word that means a written prayer that somebody's written and stored and you're praying it back. So by praying these written prayers, these collects that are drawn from all the different Christian traditions throughout church history, we are praying in concert, in unity, with the global church across time. We're not only praying with them, we're learning from their prayers. Okay, I want to take just a second to address a potential objection. I've heard this before. You shouldn't ever pray a prayer someone else has written. You, your prayer must always be spontaneous. If you pray a written prayer, then you're using meaningless repetition. Now that's a quote from Matthew, so let me read the scripture. Because it's not, this, we, are, we are not doing this when we pray these written prayers. I want to be clear about this. Here's what Jesus said. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition or meaningless repetition as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So what is Jesus saying here? He's not saying don't repeat your prayers. It can sound like that, but it's not. In fact, Jesus repeated his prayers. I'll cover that in a second. What he's saying is don't think that you'll be heard because of the number of times you repeat your prayers. So if you think God has to be somehow convinced to answer your prayers, and the way you convince him is by just saying them over and over and over again, then you don't understand your Father in heaven. Don't do that. For your Father, Jesus says, knows the thing you ask before you even ask them. His heart is already bent towards you. You don't have to convince him. He just wants to come into partnership with you. He gives us the honor of praying in order to join him in what he's already going to do. In fact, Jesus follows this statement about repetition by giving the Lord's prayers to his disciples. So now he's given them a prayer to repeat. So clearly repeating a prayer is not a problem. In Mark 14, 13, speaking of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. So he repeated the prayer he had just prayed. So don't be taken in by warnings against written prayers or against repeated prayers against liturgy, as if only spontaneous prayers were heard from God. Pray the collects in bridge prayer, knowing that God hears you, and you are joining your voice with thousands of others through the generations who have come to God with the same heart cry. All right, unity. We're still on unity. United prayer. The longest season of prayer in bridge prayer is season seven, which we're in right now reconciliation and unity. So this is our sign, one sign of our persistence 
and praying for unity in the body of Christ as we take the most time in our whole year and focus on praying for unity. Okay, number two, biblical. United biblical prayers. Bridge prayers are biblical. Every bridge prayer focuses on praying a particular passage of Scripture. And the way it's structured, we pray the, an antiphon drawn from that Scripture. Then we pray the full Scripture itself. And then we pray the antiphon again. So every bridge prayer is at its heart and at its core a biblical prayer. Number three, spirit-filled. How is bridge prayer spirit-filled? Well, first of all, we're spirit-filled and we come and pray. So there you go. But I'd also like to point out that it was the Holy Spirit who gave us the bridge prayer model very clearly. It all came in one download on July 4th. I think it was 2010, it may have been 2011. Also, we begin every bridge prayer with a Trinitarian formula that includes in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. We join together to pray uh, to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're beginning the prayer recognizing that it's only in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can pray. We give space for the Holy Spirit to direct the musician and the prayer leader as they lead us. And particularly in the last five minutes, it's not it's not stated what should be done. The idea is to let the Holy Spirit guide in a special way. And we always remain open to the Holy Spirit redirecting us before, during, or after bridge prayer. Sometimes we've set it aside entirely because we felt the Holy Spirit say, no, pray for this person. So we do that instead. Finally, one entire season of bridge prayer, the season of Pentecost, is devoted to the Holy Spirit. So, so bridge prayer is spirit-filled in the power of the Spirit. Fourth, bridge prayer is contemplative. So the time of silence in the first five minutes is a wonderful time for contemplating the beauty and character of God. For me, if there isn't a word or a phrase that's highlighted by the Spirit in the opening prayer or later on, I just close my eyes and imagine the throne room scene of Revelation 4 with the throne and the rainbow and the seraphim and the host crying out holy 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 and I just I just enter into that I let my imagination help my contemplation of the beauty of God but it's also intercessory number five because the prayer leader leads us in praying intercessory prayers after we read the full scripture in the in the third five minute section the prayer leader announces a theme and says let's all pray one at a time, or in groups, or all together at the same time. And the last five minutes also is a great time for intercessory prayers, including sometimes laying hands on and praying for people who are in the room, guests or visitors or members of the community. Three full seasons of bridge prayer, Israel, Pentecost, and reconciliation and unity have significant intercessory components built into them. We're praying for Israel, we're praying for missions and evangelism. We're praying for reconciliation and unity in the church. Okay, number six, teleological, that big fancy word that means focused on the culmination of the end of the age, what God is doing. So every bridge prayer, we cry out together, come, the spirit and the bride say, and everyone says, come. Our first bridge prayer season is Advent longing for the return of Christ in glory. All of our bridge prayers are focused 
on God's plan to bring back his son and install him as king in Jerusalem. Number six, blending sung and spoken prayers, that musical component we saw in Revelation 15. So we do that in bridge prayer. The musician leads first, and then the prayer leader. And then the last five minutes gives an opportunity for them to join together. And I would encourage musicians and prayer leaders in future years to be more open to blending music and prayer in this section. And also to, for you musicians, encourage us to sing out our prayers spontaneously. Okay, so bridge prayer is all of these things. United, biblical, spirit-filled, contemplative, intercessory, teleological. It blends sung and spoken prayers. And now let me add one more important goal for Christ the Reconciler that we have not yet mentioned. Continual. We want to pray these prayers continually. It's important to remember that the bridge prayer model for our eventual prayer room, which will be on the land, is only 20 minutes out of two hours. The prayer room will be open 24-7. Lord willing, filled 24-7. People will be in the prayer room crying out, singing, doing harp and bowl sessions, praying the rosary. And then at the turn of the two-hour sessions, we join together the two teams or the individuals from each side of the hours and we pray bridge prayer together. That's the goal. That's the model. We haven't been able to do that yet, but that's the model. And here I am on the spot of our future prayer room facing east towards Jerusalem. You can see the land around us. Lord willing, soon. We'll have prayer going on this very spot. And then, in future years, day and night, night and day, let incense arise here. Let it be, Lord. So, one interesting point about the prayer room. I got an email recently from my friend Bob Liddell. He said, your prayer room is in a very interesting location. I found that it's actually on exactly the same latitude as the front steps of the Texas State Capitol. So if you go due west from our prayer room, you'll end up on the steps of the Texas Capitol where so many times people have gathered and prayed about so many things. It's a place of authority. We're exactly east of that by one minute. So if you think about it, as the, as the earth turns, if our prayers you know, kind of go up and stay in place as the earth turns. One minute later, they're sitting right at the front steps of the state capitol. Now that's curious and interesting, and I don't want to make too much of it, but I think it speaks something to the impact of our prayers in this hidden place upon all sorts of things we have no idea. I personally like to envision Jesus' return to Jerusalem, and then he leaves on his world tour and as he's headed to Austin he comes right across <laughs> we're the ones that are they're one minute east crying out come and then we see him and we welcome him and he goes and visits Austin so that's a uh, something I imagine for our prayer room and I I want to be in the prayer room that day when that happens 24 7 continual prayer being in the prayer room at the return of the Lord 
what a potentially beautiful thing. All right, what I've been talking about so far has focused on how we pray together as a community amongst ourselves. The community commitment, by the way, commits to this, praying amongst ourselves as a community. It doesn't address individual prayer times or your prayer times as a couple or as a family or as small groups. It's assumed that each of you have your own rhythms of prayer before the Lord that you practice regularly. But there is a second aspect of prayer as a community that we are committing to as well, which is more outwardly focused. This comes, for example, when we pray over guests and visitors. Recently, Paul Hoffman was here and we prayed for him. Karen Goldapp said, I think in our last retreat, that she misses these times of extended prayer that we had in the old AHOP prayer room over other people. And I look forward to revitalizing that part of our community prayer life as we occupy the land and build the prayer room. We also sometimes travel to pray elsewhere. We join with others in prayer initiatives. Global Day of Prayer back in the 2000s, Wittenberg 2017. Currently, we've been involved and have been for 10 years in the Unceasing Prayer Initiative in Austin. And of course, we also engage in prayer with our various local churches. So one good example of this right now is Tuesday night prayer at Hope Chapel, led by Michael and Jolene Michelle, Marty St. Ange, Felipe and Lee. I encourage you to go and drink of this well that has come from the life that God has deposited in us and through us. And we will continue to hear the Holy Spirit as a leadership team regarding where and when to engage in these more outward expressions of prayer. We're open to suggestions from the entire community, but we also don't want to lose our calling to be a house of prayer, to, to make a place for the presence of God through our contemplating of his beauty and our crying out together. Hopefully this gives you a vision for where we, we are headed as Christ the Reconciler. So in closing, we have to turn to John 17. After all, the community commitment is a commitment to live out John 17 as a community. Well, what is John 17? John 17 is a prayer. That is why prayer is the first of our five commitments to live out John 17 as a community. Everything springs from and ultimately returns to the place of prayer. Now that John 17 exists at all is remarkable when you consider what came before. Jesus has just instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper, which is the center, of course, of the Roman Catholic faith. Well, for those of us who are Protestants, he also just preached an all-time great sermon, the Upper Room Discourse. He washed his disciples' feet. He turned the other cheek to his betrayer. He changed the identity of his disciples from servants into friends. You might say that John 13 through 16 represents the most precious parts of every one of our traditions distilled down to its very essence. Jesus could have stopped there, but he did not consider that to be enough. 
John 17 begins with this simple but amazing sentence. It's the kind of descriptive scripture that's easy to miss, but when you see it, it's like, oh my goodness. After Jesus said this, these things, the upper room discourse, all that we just talked about, after that, he turned his face to heaven and prayed. We should be greatly encouraged by this. Practicing all the activities and sacraments of the faith, communion, teaching, serving, living out the Sermon on the Mount, all of these are not sufficient for unity. We need the Father. We must pray. That's what Jesus did. He prayed for unity. Jesus didn't command unity. He commanded us to love one another. He didn't command us be united. He prayed for unity. Father, make them one. This tells us that unity is ultimately a work of God and not of men. So our first commitment in living out John 17 as a community is to be like Jesus and pray. And of course, John 17 is also our central prayer. When we pray for the body of Christ to be one, as the Father and the Son are one, we are joining with Jesus. It's as if we stand alongside our older brother, the firstborn of many sons, the great intercessor, and together we are petitioning the Father. Make the believers one. We can do this with great confidence because Jesus has led the way and is surely still praying this prayer because it has not been answered yet. But it will be answered. And when it is, the glory of those who have stood in the gap with Jesus, praying alongside of him the prayer of his heart, that glory will be revealed. So let's be among that joyful throng. Let's live out John 17 by praying John 17 together. Hallelujah.